to the Stay at Home Mom Yarai podcast. You are about to listen to my mom. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like it, please give it five stars. Thank you. and welcome to the stay-at-home mom yeah right podcast i'm sarah smith your host and i'm so excited to be joined by danielle meadows Stinnett. she is a wife to her amazing husband kevin mom of four boys she's in a blended family she's a gamer which is so cool for a mom to be um she's an entrepreneur a podcaster and speaker welcome to my podcast danielle how are you today hi i'm well thank you as I was doing my research on your podcast for, for my podcast, I came across your boys' names, which are the absolute coolest. Can you share <laughs> their names with my listeners and how they came about? Sure. So I am a former jazz musician and uh, jazz is a big part of our lives. So um, the names of our children are after some of the jazz greats. And it was really cool as um, as being an adopted mom, we actually got to um, keep the name of our middle child, Michael Ray. So we were able to kind of keep it all in sync with the jazz feel. So that was kind of cool to have a Miles and Ellington and a Michael Ray. So that's pretty cool. And now we have a Theodore. I keep forgetting player number four that just entered our lives like a year ago. Um, so we have a, a Theodore. We kind of nicknamed him both with a middle and a first name just because he's so unique to our family. So um, definitely after a Thelonious Monk. So a Theo for Theodore. <laughs> the coolest. When I was doing that, I was like, oh my gosh, these names are like amazing. Ellington, I love that name. <laughs> Absolutely. After the great. <laughs> yes. Um, you also had a baby girl named Ella Jo, another amazing name, who unfortunately passed in your row. I would like to normalize conversations where as mothers, we are not afraid to talk about the loss of a baby that unfortunately didn't make it to term because according to the Mayo Clinic, 10 to 20% of known pregnancies end in miscarriages. I have suffered a close-to-death ectopic pregnancy and then a year later, a miscarriage, followed by a few years later by a rainbow baby. Can you share what this time was like for you and your family? Absolutely. In the beginning stages, it was very um, awkward. So uh, one of my, um, our middle child, Michael, who had already experienced a lot of personal trauma in his very, in early stages of his life um, with his paternal parents, it was very, very difficult to explain to him once again that, you know, we're trying to bring life into the world that didn't make it. Um, I think he take, took it more personally than the rest of the children who were also still experiencing, you know, what, what death to self looks like. Um, but especially after Ella Jo, they really got to see mom, you know, broken. They really mm -hmm. got to see me feel my feelings. There was moments where I would walk in the hallway and just cry. There were moments where I would sit at the table and just cry. And my children would see those tears and that anguish and that grief. Um, I, I had a really special moment with my youngest at the time, my youngest son, Ellington, um, who really was just like, you know, mom, I, I really wish that I could, could help you. I really wish that I could, Aww. you know, be there in those moments for you. But I also love the fact, too, that I was able to share a little bit of that grief to let them know that, you know, life is temporary and it's precious. And uh, I think the reality of uh, having boys and then having having a stillborn daughter also is also that, you know, that connection that you want to have. Um, also, when we talk about, you know, family in general, what's family look like? 
looks like. And, you know, family is what you make it. That's kind of been our motto as a, as a blended family. So um, having that experience, being able to bring uh, Ella Jo into the world, not breathing, I think has been um, a very bonding experience for all of us. I love how you kept the communication open with your boys and how they were able to express their feelings as well. I think that's so important. Absolutely. I, f- I feel like it was very difficult in the beginning stages with my older, my, my older children, my two oldest, my oldest son ha- is autistic. And it was very interesting to see his personal reaction to mommy bringing this daughter into the world that wasn't breathing, but still smiling and taking photos and, you know, celebrating her life. Um, that was very strange to him. And so he had a lot of very technical uh, questions. And a lot of times when you're <laughs> When you're working with children, it can kind of be, you know, really blunt, like, mom, that baby's not breathing. Why are you holding it? Things along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I was open to exploring that, especially for any child with special needs. It's really important to be raw and honest in that communication. So for him, it was, yes, yes, I am holding this baby. Yes, yes, I am celebrating this life. This is why it's important to me. Um, And then for him, um, he can associate in whatever way that best felt comfortable for him. Then a year later, you were blessed with your rainbow baby, Theo, Theodore. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you when you found out you and your husband were pregnant with him? Oh, my goodness. So we found out the funniest story. Um, We found out that we were pregnant well beyond uh, 16 weeks. Actually, we found out when he was 21. I was 21 weeks along. And I did not realize that I have have, uh, PCOS. I also have HS. And so a lot of those same similar symptoms um, are very similar to early stages of pregnancy. So I kind of dismissed it, um, thinking that I'm just having a flare up. I'm buying a lot of DoorDash because I'm just eating my anxiety away, things along those lines. And eventually it turned into, oh, no, there's flutters here. Oh, no, I need to go see my OBGYN. And it was straight to, uh, you may be a lot further along than you think. And by the time we actually got in there to look at Theodore, he was bright as sun, looking, sucking his thumb, looking at all of us, trying to figure out, uh, what do I do now? (laughs) Oh, I love it. While the loss of one and the birth of another is such a bittersweet time, I have found there is always that thought of the one who didn't quite make it. In order to help a mother who might have experienced a miscarriage, do you have any words of hope or or thoughts of encouragement for them? Oh, yes. I definitely want to let people know that where where one place ends is another beginning. And I think that's the, the biggest piece of hope that I can offer any mother who has gone through a loss, whether that's miscarriage or stillbirth, and then experiencing this new life. Um, there were times where I felt guilty, that I felt, you know, a little bit, not necessarily shame, but just kind of felt the the guilt of I wasn't able to bring Ella Jo here all the way, but here I am with this second gift, this extra life. You know, how do I want to celebrate that? And a lot of times we talk about um, how cool it would have been if Ella Jo and Theodore got to play together and all the things. So we have those conversations with our children. And uh, I I have those conversations often um, with my husband, just so that we can, you know, 
have that deeper bond between the two of us in regards to bringing new life into the world. And I think it's really cool too, as we make all those memories, we remake all these memories with the kids. Um, my older children are, you know, teenagers. And so now I have this one-year-old, a huge age gap, right? So we're right. recreating a lot of things. Um, we're recreating a lot of memories that my older children were able to experience that now Theodore is able to experience. And in between that, I often think about, you know, you know, Ella Jo's still here. You know, in a lot of ways, I see a lot of pieces of what I felt her personality was inside of my now baby, my my toddler, my son. And so I think it's really cool that we can see that resemblance in each other and we can honor that um, so that it nothing goes to waste. I love that. Now you're you're in a blended family. Can you talk about how you all are blended and how it came to be? Absolutely. So um, <laughs> uh, long story short, um, I have two children, well, yes, two children with two other uh, dads. And then I have my husband and our child that we adopted together. And then Theo. So that's kind of how it's all blended together in one happy PB&J sandwich. But it definitely isn't always, you know, super happy all the time. We still have to navigate some areas um, here and there. But I love the fact that over the past year uh, since Theodore has been born we've been able to really bond and blend as as a family Um, brothers are close-knit everyone wants to play with the baby everybody wants to make their own memories Um, Theodore is very attached to all of them so I think that's really awesome that is so awesome so he kind of like brought everybody together Yes, I think it's (laughs) kind of awesome how that played out like everyone kind of came together on that level so yes I love it that's great (laughs) How do you manage the various schedules with the different dads and the different parenting styles? Oh, man. I mean, uh, keep a good book or keep it electronic is what I can offer uh, advice wise. Um, We have children that uh, go off and on during the seasons, like, you know, spending a whole summers away from home to um, kids that swap out every other weekend. So we keep up with holidays. We try to keep all the kids together as much as we can um, during the holiday holidays throughout the year but we also are very strong advocates of you know sharing our children which means we need to create our own moments and collect our own memories in different times so that other people can still um, share and love on our kids and that's really important to us as a blended family Uh, you have four boys what has this past year of social unrest been like in your house oh man i mean from online learning to uh the reduction of contact from amongst friends and family, it's definitely took its toll here in the house. But um, we have gone back this year to um, in-person learning. And that's been a, you can see a huge difference between um, my social butterflies and my non-social butterflies <laughs> in regards to, you know, how they interact with the world and really how they choose to see each other. Um, I feel like in the pandemic, things got really, really, really tight um, between the brothers. They wanted to Sometimes they would butt heads, but a lot of times they would come back to each other at the end of the day. And I love that pattern. And I wanted to continue that pattern even well after the pandemic. So some good things came from being uh, more than six feet apart. (laughs) What kind of conversations have you had to have with your boys during this well, it seems like ongoing social unrest. Um, oh, yes. As far as, you know, the murder of George Floyd and many, many others. 
Oh, yes. So Black Lives Matter, we were actually featured on NPR um, locally Mm -hmm. here as a family to talk about, you know, how we as a blended family and an interracial family are talking about the social unrest that's happening within this particular Black Black Lives Matter movement. And so I really had deep conversations with my, uh, at the time, youngest son, Ellington. I was very pregnant at the time when that interview took place. And, you know, uh, I love that Ellington poured his heart out to this reporter, just literally said, you know, I, I really want people to stop killing us. I really want people to not being able to uh, judge me just because I'm my skin is different from theirs. Um, my heart is still the same, mom. My heart is still the same. Things along those lines is mm. is really riveting. You know, when you hear your, yes. your young child, you're nine. I think he was nine. He was nine, nine? years old. Nine oh. years old and saying such strong, profound statements around um, being Black in America. And I think it's so important that we have those conversations amongst each other and even more so for, for my older children who are who are more interracial and white. Uh, Michael is all co- is completely Caucasian and he will gladly say to everyone, I don't like being white. Oh, <laughs> being, my God. I don't I don't like being white. Actually, the word the actual phrase was I hate being white. That was the actual phrase. Um, but those are the type of things that they feel when they see um people that look like them deteriorate someone else not like them. And um, he's very protective. I think uh, Michael is very protective of Ellington. So it's very interesting. Even when they go out in public, they, they're they close to each other. They may not necessarily, you know, back in the elementary days, hold hands and be all, um, you know, elementary school with it, but they're near each other. Um, they communicate with each other a little bit more closely now since George Floyd. So it's really important to really just kind of showcase that bonding uh, and be open in that communication, allow them to come and emote, allow them to come to you and say some really outlandish things. They need to get those feelings out so that they can better make sense of how to present themselves in the world. And I love how Michael is able to see the world differently because he does have a black brother. Mm -hmm. I think if he was in a hundred percent Caucasian household, I'm not sure if he would see the world the way he does with you all. Absolutely. And I think that's also the reason why it's so beautiful to see um, our our family come together the way that it has over the past several years, um, especially in the terms of Elijah McCrane. Oh, my gosh. When, when that happened, that really got me because I could see my son, Miles, being that person. Mm. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Uh-huh. I can hear he, I could hear my son saying those exact same phrases um, just because of the way that his mental brain works mm-hmm. and still having that end result of later dying simply because he walked in at the wrong in a very uh, uncomfortable situation and just made an exaggerated statement. And that was it. That was that's what uh-huh. killed him, literally. Um, so things along those lines are, are things I take to heart, um, even more so at that time. I was again, I was pregnant. So feeling all those emotions on top of the hormones, on top of all the things, there's a lot of moments where I had to literally wake mm-hmm. up in the mornings, sit out on the patio and have all the cries out before the kids woke up in the morning. It's too much. I mean, so I mean, on top of the pandem- pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's too much to deal with. What are the lessons you've learned from your sons? Um, I've learned a lot, honestly. The one of the bigger things, obviously, over around overall, has been my faith, growing my faith. Um, in in losing Ella Joe, I clearly remember, and I shared a lot, honestly, in my blog about 
um, my experience um, in in bringing Ella Jo into the world. This is my first time having a um, a vaginal birth, my first time ever um, experiencing that experience, but also so bittersweet because it was toward the end. There was no breathing life at the end of it. You know, you always want to finish the race. And so this was my experience of doing that. And in doing so, I really got closer in my faith journey through that experience. And I think that's something that my children have witnessed. And that's something I've learned from them through my experience is, you know, using and relying and leaning on our faith in a lot of areas. Um, Something else that I've learned is it doesn't have to, I don't have to be in the middle of it. Um, that's something else that my my children and my son specifically have taught me. Mom, we can carry, we can carry, we can carry it ourselves. We can do it on our own. We don't have to necessarily have you in the middle of it to to oversee or conduct or you know that type of feel. And I I love that my older sons have really taught me that they can they can hold the ship. They can do it. Right. Um, and then the last thing that I've really learned is just really appreciating all the little things appreciating that my son is, is is walking and crawling around the floor, appreciating the way that he looks at the trees when it blows in the wind, appreciating my children being able to um, just throw a football in the yard together, appreciating them walking the baby around the block while mom is able to take a little cat nap or catch up on emails or things along those lines, and appreciating the randomness that happens at our kitchen table around dinner time, you know, whatever the conversation may be, um, whether it's a what if question or just simple table talk or just clumsy table talk, you know, making up all the fun stuff, all those little things. I just so appreciate in a much deeper fashion because of these experiences. Wow. So you're really able to sit back and enjoy every, all uh, what could be chaos in the moment, but like you're just enjoying every single moment. I love that. Absolutely. Seeing the beauty in the chaos. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so now, so you're a gamer, so you're like the cool mom. Um, (laughs) can you, what kind of gaming are you into? Um, mostly retro games. So, you know, all the old school Mario's and Donkey Kong's, all your old school original games, your Galaga, um, the arcade fun that we, we have an arcade, a local arcade here. And it's amazing. We love being able to bring the kids out and just re kind of reimagine life, um, through video gaming. That's so cool. So are your your husband and your kids are into it as well? Oh, yes. They're definitely more into more of the modern gaming. So, you know, your Xbox, your um, all your Microsoft games. Um, so they're very, very comfortable with with playing old school or new school. Um, usually we have a Sunday night ritual during the holiday season, like in the fall, winter months, um, where on Sundays we we game. So we pull off the game because it's so cold outside. We usually can't go out or go do anything. So we just stay inside and put on some hot chocolate or some cider. And we play Uno until our eyes go sore. Or we play um, Trouble until we until someone actually gets in trouble. Um, we, we do a lot of <laughs> tabletop gaming during those times. Was that something that you all did during the lockdown in 2020? Yes. And before. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely more of a, a custom family pastime that the kids were very comfortable with. Um, we just did a lot more of it during the pandemic when, when it was much more on lockdown. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, with such a busy family life and being a business owner, do you have time for self-care? And if so, what does that look like for you? Oh, man. Self-care for me is pajamas, chai tea, 
and you know occasionally yeah netflix binging and, and gaming i think that's kind of been my my go-to i'm a huge scrabble girl so i love playing scrabble um i'm uh, before words words with friends were cool um words with friends was like my go-to for everything uh, we still do that as a staff as a business we have game days where we literally play with, with each other all online and we don't play uh, we don't do anything in the office we just play online um we mentioned a little bit about you know gaming and even in the workplace you know using gaming in that bonding time to just kind of re reset some things in our minds and in, in our our functionalities as as people so that's really important to me to kind of kind of keep that gaming theme going always restoring the pot always resetting rethinking strategizing the next step that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time today to share about your family and your blended, wonderful family. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me here. Absolutely. You have just listened to the Stay at Home Mom Yeah Right podcast with my mom. I hope you enjoy listening don't forget to subscribe and if you liked it please give it five stars thank you